On today's episode, Jeff and I hung out with the guys from the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. We sat down with Director of Development Mark Rayban and Florida Keys Initiative Manager Dr. Ross Buchek. We talked about everything from tagging permanent in the lower keys to proper handling techniques for bonefish. These guys have been working tirelessly on efforts to help educate people on the importance of protecting our flats fisheries. And don't miss out on attending their 7th Annual Science Symposium and Flats Expo, November 13th through 14th at the Bonaventure Resort and Spa in Weston, Florida. We're looking forward to a new long-lasting relationship of real guys helping real guys out. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Yeah. This is the surf show me up. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about going. <laughs> you bring your board? Yeah, I did. I brought up boards and... Uh... Well, I, uh, I surfed Monday in New Smyrna. We did that. The Florida Man... I completed the Florida Man Challenge. I didn't get my tarpon, but I replaced it with a redfish. So, uh, so my my buddies and I were, you know, we're, we just come up with weird things about when, you know, when we're sitting around talking fishing, hunting, whatever, and we're thinking what would be like the ultimate Florida day outdoors. So, on Monday, I caught. I went up north to Indian River Lagoon with our buddy captain uh, Cody Rubner and uh, got got my redfish and snook. Went to New Smyrna, almost got a tarpon too, but just couldn't couldn't stay tight on it. And then went to New Smyrna, surfed a wave, and then went south and killed two hogs, no all way. all in one day. So yeah, so surf and turf and you that's know not real, that's not real guys shit or nothing. And we got back to the ramp, and Carl and I were just kind of shooting the breeze for a little bit, and these guys rolled up, and I had to actually step aside of the corner to do a phone call, and you know Carl's talking to these dudes, and I was like, well, you know, let me go over and introduce myself, and. So we're talking and Carl goes, oh, by the way, these are the, they work with Bonefish Tarpon Trust. And I got all excited because I've been a big fan of their work. And so uh, Mark Rayban and I uh, exchanged contact information and I called him up and said we'd love to do a podcast with him and here we are. Dude, that's, that's pretty good because, um, I mean, if you're going to have people come on the podcast and it's the Real Guy podcast, it's really good that you got real guys on here. Ross, thanks for coming in. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Mark? What well, I have to say, too, I mean, meeting most of my Miami boat ramp interactions are with, like, jet skiers, with their <laughs> with their girlfriends, with their with thong half hanging off, and, you know, it's just, like, craziness at the ramp, especially that ramp, you that know. That ramp's crazy. And they go run over the flats, so to have, yep. like, a pleasant conversation at the ramp, you know, it's it's kind of a nice experience versus yeah. what, what usually transpires there, for sure. Oh, gosh. What, what's the official take from the Bonefish Tarpon Trust about jet skiers. I'm like, Ross, why don't you start with Because you're, you're, you're probably more in the thick of it. Don't now. hold back. <laughs> oh, man. Don't hold back. That ain't good for fish, that's for sure. Nope. All right. We, uh, did a, uh, we did an entire podcast, actually. I should send you guys the link. It was, uh, we called it Personal Watercraft Invasion. Yes. And to this day, I think that that was probably the best, if not one of if one of if not the best podcast that we've done so far that one hit home yeah but well, they affect everybody and, and it's been nice to see at least in biscayne bay where i do a lot of fishing living in miami you know they've they've done a much better job of enforcing it in the park it's still far from where it probably needs to be 
But, you know, I, I have been happy to see that, you know, it looks like they're enforcing a little bit more. They even put up signs at the ramp at Black Point. Like, if they see somebody launching at Black Point, they'll actually stop them now, which in the oh, past, yeah. like, a couple years ago, you'd be launching there, a guy would be launching four jet skis next to you. It's like, this is, this just, you can't do that. I mean, well, but I, no one would stop them either, so it's gotten better. Well, I'll tell you, though, I was bummed. I don't even know if I told you, Jeff, if I even told you about this, but... So that last time, Carl took me, I mean, way down south. Like, mm -hmm. this was the furthest he had ever took me. I'm not going to give away the spot. But I was very depressed when we rolled up, and it was a legit sandbar with boats and everything yeah. on oh, it. Oh, man. I know and I exactly said to Carl, I said, something tells me that there used to be, this used to be a good bonefish spot. He goes, dude. He goes, you see all that over there? All we used to do is see bonefish tailing over yeah. there. He said, no more. You can still see them there. They just don't eat as well. Yeah, they're skittish. Yeah, we saw a big tarpon actually when we were going. So there's still lots of fish over there. Um, it's just hard to get them to eat. Yeah. So, so Ross and Mark, um, being at the Bonefish Tarpon Trust people, how much bonefish and tarpon fishing are you guys able to get to do on the clock, or is it all off the clock? You go first, Ross. You, you're doing a lot more than me. I, uh, I mean, we got to figure out. How, we got to catch these fish to study, so we got to fish for them to some level which is awesome. But man, I fish every, every sunrise and every sunset. I got the boat in the water and I'm going. And right now, I mean, we get the fishing so good. We got tarpon stacked up on weed patches. We got the bonefish are all over the flats. Permit are thick right now. So it's, it's a good time to be fishing in the Keys, that's for sure. So you fish about every day, you said, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I understand Mark actually was telling me that you're also known as Flats Jesus. <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, he's flat squatch. I don't know if you guys know Chrissy Hughes of, of Bob Hughes Boats. We have to thank her for those names. We were, we were having a cocktail or seven after the Isla Mirada. We do this big Isla Mirada dinner every year in January, and we were hanging out laughing, and she had never met Ross before. <laughs> and it kind of organically came up. We were, we were talking about nicknames or something. We're like, Ross needs a nickname. And he got flat Jesus, and I got stuck with flat squatch. Ross <laughs> looks so. like... Mark the shark if he took care of himself. <laughs> oh, no, that's what I'm like. Is I allowed to say that out that's there? That's tough. <laughs> You're allowed to say it. What do you think you're going to do? Get caught yeah, I know, right? Um, I will, I want, one thing I wanted to add, too, I think that the timing that we're doing this podcast is perfect. Um, for those, for everybody out there that follows uh, Millhouse Podcast, Andy and Nikki Mill this week had done the uh, hashtag show us your bone challenge. And Mark, I know you and I participated. Ross, right. you were on there too. Did you hear about the hashtag show us your bone challenge that they did? No. No, he, was on, he saw a different one. What was that? He was on a different show your bone challenge. Yeah, he caught a 13 pounder. No, but basically in the short of it is the challenge after they did that podcast with uh, Jared Raskob and you know he told the incredible story about that 16 pound bonefish. Jared's insane, man. That Dude, guy, that, guy uh, that story? Oh, I mean, you listen. And you're like on the edge of your seat listening yeah. to him tell the story. <laughs> I was, I, I thought it was great, but um, they encouraged people to actually start showing off their bonefish catches, which I think is fantastic because I don't feel like the bonefish always get enough love. I can't believe you didn't tell me that. Do you know how bad I'm gonna sport the piss <laughs> out of my 13, 14 pound bonefish pitchers? How did you not tell me that? I don't even. Well, this I partic I participated late. Because when they first started doing it, it was all like double-digit fish. And then <laughs> wait, I was wait like, for the size class to go down. Well, that was yeah, I was like, go. I mean, I've got like a, I mean, I've caught seven, and I was like, but that's still not double-digit. And then some people were posting like little ones, and mm. I was like, well, now seven doesn't look yeah, that bad. There. So I was like, all right, let me post it. So. All right. So you saw Raskob's picture of his sixteen-pounder. 
Yes. All right, and you saw my picture. Here we go. Of Here we go. <laughs> my 13 pounder. I did. Which one had a bigger head? Do I'm you, not you just have a saying photo? this. I want to see this thing. I'm not just saying this. His, I'm not saying that weight-wise it was bigger, but his is head. No, make it make it clear. Lunker dog's fish's Lunker head. Lunker dog's bone fish's head <laughs> was much thicker than the one that Raskob got. Just saying. That's fighting words, I think. I was just about to say, that's fighting words right there. So Jared's I'm, a big dude, man. Those I don't know are if you fighting words right there. <laughs> well, Jared, Jared's got to take it easy on me. I'm like almost senior citizen at this point compared to that kid. Yeah. And... I haven't been fishing for bonefish that much. That's true. And I, that 13-pounder is pretty impressive. I will bring the picture in since you guys are from the bonefish tarp and dress people. Not everybody gets to see the bonefish. Yeah. Tell them where you caught it, too. I caught it down in... Um, oh, you want to hear a funny story? I'll tell you a funny story about tell this it. bonefish. So I caught it down in Pine Island, you know, down south. Mm-hmm. So it's a fairly big bonefish, period. And for that area, yeah. extremely big. But um, this is like 20 years ago, maybe 22 and I'm putting in at the ramp, and I'd never met Andy Mill before, and it's blowing fucking 30. And who pulls up to the ramp is Andy Mill and whatever guide he was using. And um, so we spoke a little bit, and they kind of chuckled as we left the dock, knowing how fucking crazy windy it was. And that was the day I caught the big bonefish. How about that, Andy Mill? Remember, your cousin caught that big tarpon too, like a 120. Right, but I'm just saying, just like, when good things happen, it's like a roller coaster, and you're coming down, and everything's going fast. I got Andy Mill, friggin' 13 pound bonefish, 100 pound tarpon, all one day. And then we get the shit kicked at us for like a week. But anyway, we had a good day. You had a great day that day. I still think, I still think the funniest thing when Andy was telling us about how he had set the record for that light tackle bonefish, it was like a thir- he caught like a 13 pound bonefish, and he set the record that day for the, uh, the pound test that he was using. Mm. And the very next day, some kid caught a 14-pounder and broke that record. <laughs> he, got to, he got to enjoy the record for like 12 hours. Yeah, you could see that. Man, he, like, uh, he had a, his tarpon world record, right? He was like an ounce under or something. Yeah, he's really got bad luck with that stuff. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's only won Gold Cup, what, five times? Five I mean, he's super bad two luck. T- Two-time Olympics champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, no, super bad luck. Yeah, he's not doing too bad. I don't he's think, not I'm not too worried about him. He's a tennis star, <laughs> yeah. you know, best friends of president. You know, uh, something else I wanted to bring up on this podcast, too, is, you know, a lot of these environmental organizations, um, they'll get, for example, like a celebrity that want to, invo- to get involved with them. Like CCA has Kenny Chesney. Sure. Captains for Clean Water has Luke Combs. I mean, you guys got Huey Lewis, Jimmy Kimmel, Michael Keaton. I saw Liam Neeson in one picture. I mean, that's got to be a pretty cool feeling to have all those people want to get involved with you guys. I will say one of my top ever things to happen with this job was we were at our New York event last year and Liam Neeson was there. And I, go, I had a full conversation with him about snook fishing and he had never heard of snook before. And I was telling him just how just freaking awesome these fish are. And it, I don't I ever, you know, if you watch his movies, you kind of forget he has an accent. And he has this like kind of thick, I guess, Northern it's Irish, like Irish yeah. yeah. And he's like, Snook, oh, I need to get one of those. It's like, oh, he's gonna find no it. Idea. He's got a special fishing. set of skills, you know? I had no idea Liam Neeson was in yeah. the No, a bunch of those guys are. Yeah. And you'd be amazed, especially with, with bone fishing. There's a lot of random people that you would never know are really into it. Remember you and I at the ramp, I told you a Ty Burrell. Right, from exactly. From modern, modern family. Perfect example. He apparently, he loves going to Abaco Lodge. That's what he does. That I think they said like once or twice a year he books down there for like a week, and he can, and he loves catching bonefish down there. So you never know. And then I was watching you know Pirates of the Flats, right. and you guys did that. Um, 
But I also wanted to kind of talk to you guys a little bit about um, some of the things, some of the successes that you guys have had with the research that you've done. And talk about some of the projects and initiatives that you guys have done. So you could elaborate a little bit on that. Sure. Where do you want to start? You want to start in Florida? Because well, Ross, Ross can can lead the charge there. Because so Ross is our Florida Keys manager. Yeah. So you know he's overseeing all of the work in the Keys, and he's also with his background. His, he's had a great background throughout the state as well, and is. He's done a little bit of everything. I mean, he's he's got his hand in a lot of different places. So yeah, Ross, started in Florida. Right on that, man. Uh, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, and the, the with bonefish, permit, and tarpon, they've been a, a species that's been basically underpaid attention to from the state and our federal agencies. They don't have harvest limits, so everyone's just assumed the fishery's been okay. But everyone has been reported to us over the last 30 years that everything's kind of getting worse and worse, and you know, I don't know what to do. So that's really how we got started. And since no one's really cared about the species, there's no science to inform any kind of regulations. So we, we started doing the science, learning about the species, and um, a permit's a really good example of how we've gotten, gotten some regulations to match the value of the species. In 2011, we were able, there was an unregulated species, it was like a jack. We were able to get, uh, you know, in the Keys at least, we get about a seasonal harvest closure for them to protect the flats fish and a smaller size limit and bag limit. And then with our science recently, we were able to extend the seasonal harvest closure a little bit more to protect them because they've been spawning earlier and earlier. See, now that brings me to something. Um, one of the other questions I want to ask you too is, because Mark, you and I were talking about this a few weeks ago about um, that project permit that you guys have gotten a little bit of backlash for certain aspects about. I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, happy to. Uh, first thing I'll say, anything that's worth doing is usually going to be hard. Um, and one thing that's worth doing for all fisheries is protecting spawning fish. If you're beating up on the spawning stock, you're not, the fishery's not going to last. And for permit, we've noticed over the last 10 years, even with a, a harvest protection during their spawning season, that the numbers are still going down. And if you looked at the decline, it, like a doctor would look at it, you know, a, a sick patient, the symptoms were of something happening at their spawning sites or something killing them during their spawning season. So we did a study to find out where they were spawning and we learned really right away that the permit on the flats in particular, the one that were declining, really liked to spawn on the reef tract. And in particular, there was a, a several spots, but one in particular called Western Dryer Rocks where they all like to aggregate. Yeah. There, because of the reef and the ocean currents, like everything spawns there. There's seven species that spawn there. And they do that because there's an eddy that allows the larvae to come right back. So anyways, everyone likes fishing there. It's a historic spot, but it's again, it's where everything's spawning. And at Western Dry Rocks, when you hook a permit out there, two and five of them get eaten by sharks. So it's it, it, essentially, even though it was a, you know, you're not allowed to harvest the fish, um, that a lot of them were dying anyway. So we're trying to, we're working with the state and the, the, Nas the National Marine Sanctuary to just give these spawning fish protection there give them a break for a couple months, let everything spawn and get back, because it's going to make the fishery better. Yeah, but yeah, because Mark was telling me that like, some people were getting kind of upset about that, but I think that the important thing with people, it's kind of one of those things where it might hurt a little bit now, but they'll thank you later. Yeah. The way that I say it. Yeah, let me get in on that. What do you, what do you guys think about that Boca Grande thing? Because I got to tell you, there's a lot of guides over there. There's a lot of people over there. That's a big name and everything. I don't like it. I don't like it because I just feel that it's a giant chum slick for the sharks. And it's a place where 
It's, I mean, it's a natural phenomenon. I mean, there's no place in the world like it. Sure. And to have 100 people on it trying to catch a fish to feed them to sharks, I don't know. I know you can't, like, legally maybe outlaw it, but, I mean, what's your guys' take? Well, I think it, it, it's, like, places like that, and, you know, there's the seven-mile bridge argument would be a somewhat similar argument as well. Right. Um, we don't have the data at this point. You know, we've, we've tagged now 186 tarpon, and we're watching where they go. We're watching how they interact with places like Boca Grande, with places like Seven Mile Bridge, with places like the Marquesas. And then when we have more information in those areas, we can then start to figure out, you know, what times of year they're really using these features. Um, and, and, you know, these types of projects, you know, it's, it's very tough, you know, you're gonna get a lot of pushback either way. And there's no, there's no good answer where you're doing, you're making everybody happy. And that's, you know, similar to what Ross was just talking about, what we've seen with Western Dry Rocks. You know, people have asked us that question a million times, and uh, I have to say at this point, we don't have an answer. We're gonna study it more. That's our only answer at this point. We're gonna see what the data tells us with these tarpon migrations. And we've been actually tracking these fish now. We're at year four five and a half or five yeah. of this project. And so we've got some great tracks and we have a lot of great information. Um, and, and we can also use that information to, to influence you know the water quality and and uh, you know how different users are are using these types of features like Boca Grand Pass or Seven Mile Bridge, but um, at this point, you know those are still you know areas where we're not quite getting into just yet. Uh, I mean the bottom line is that Boca Grande, Bahia Honda, those places, those fish are there like you said for a reason, you know, and they go they sit there and then they go spawn and and we don't we don't know the exact numbers, but I mean if a lot of them. Or get killed by sharks. That's that's unsustainable. Right. That's and that's what I that's what I think. I mean, we got such a shark problem in the last four or five, maybe six years compared to shit. Any time I can remember, you know. And there's just more and more and more sharks. And then I I watch all the videos at Boca Grande, and my parents live over there in Punta Gorda, and I'm really concerned that I don't know Port Charlotte, you know, might uh, make the same mistakes that we made here in Miami and in Fort Lauderdale. And then I watch the sharks, and I know, at least it's my gut, I mean, I guess I can't. I'd bet on it. I would bet that 90% of the sh releases, those fish swim down to the bottom and get eaten by those bull sharks. And maybe we don't have data on it, but, I don't know, common sense goes a long way, even though people don't use it that much. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, I mean, that's the importance. If, once you get the numbers on it, it's such more, more powerful to make, make change if needed. And here's the thing. If common sense was common, we wouldn't have any of these issues. You know, we, we might be able to figure them out and move in a faster way. But because every user group has an equal stake, you know, the water doesn't belong to anybody. We want to make sure that if we are going to explore doing anything in any of those types of areas, that we have very sound research like these guys have been doing. And they've, they've been doing a killer job and, and using really state-of-the-art techniques to do so and that's you know that's what if you know if you donate you were talking about getting more involved with btt you know when your money goes to btt 86 percent so 86 cents out of every dollar is going to research it's not this isn't some slush fund where it's going to slide around and you know pay a bunch of people off it's we're a research organizations we're science-based research and that's you know something that we're really proud of too do you, uh, what, what's the average? I mean, is that like crazy so high? The, the nonprofit industry average is 45 to 65%. And, and, and the good nonprofits are, are higher than that. I mean, that, that, that would be from GuideStar, which is a big nonprofit kind of website that ranks, you know, your transparency, how your money's spent, all that good stuff. Um, and we, you know, we self audit all every year, make sure the money's going where it needs to go. And, 
Um, it's, it's a point of pride for us because we're, we're lean and super efficient and we can get a lot done with it as well. So it's, you know, we're all crazy dedicated to it and it's just fun to talk about. That's, you know, we, we're living it for sure. You know, amongst our, some of the other things that you guys have done. So one of the really hot topics that we talk about on this podcast is water quality issues. I want you guys to elaborate on the pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. and the, in the water and the effects that that has on the, on the flats fisheries. Pharmaceuticals are, are no joke. Uh, to start, as you all know right now, our sewage treatment facilities do not touch those or pick them up at all. So they, they pick up the nitrogen, the phosphorus, but the, ph- the pharmaceuticals go right, right in the water. And a fish's brain chemically is not a whole lot different than a human's brain you know, on the chemical side of things. So when it gets in contact with any kind of pharmaceutical, it's going to have an effect. And researchers over in Sweden where they do a lot of this have shown that if you dose some salmon with uh, antidepressants, they lose their fear of predators. And like none of them survive when they migrate. So in Florida, we have a population increasingly taking more pharmaceuticals and that water is getting rushed right into our estuary untreated and then absorbed by our fish, which can change their behaviors and all sorts of other ways and do all sorts of things, you know, make a reproduce weird, you know, swim into a mouth of shark, who knows. Uh, so we're, 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 the first step, of course, is to document it because it, it's a heavy lift for counties and cities to, to put the infrastructure in to pick that stuff out. So, but our goal is right now to provide the science saying, look, this is a problem. This fishery is worth a half a billion dollars a year in the Keys. Let's, let's you know, put an extra $5 per tourist to get our infrastructure back to where it needs to be. And I mean, it, this is part of the larger problem with uh, the way we think about our fisheries in Florida. We, uh, we, we think about them um, as counting fish, a dwindling fish population, to figure out how many people can harvest, and that's where we stop. And we should be thinking from the other way around. We should be thinking about how do we make more fish by improving the habitats and improving the water, and then worry about the reg- harvest regulation second. So we're really, that's a focus of our efforts right now. And um, I, just to give you an example, our uh, FWC agency, they spend, I think, uh, like $350,000 a year on marine fisheries enhancement through habitat. And they spend, I think, $6 million on the freshwater side. So we're like totally reversed. And um, we really need to work on, all, on those issues. And I mean, that, that feeds right in the water quality. It's all that, yeah. you know. Do you guys think that you're making some progress with that though, with the states? Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, we, this is a, we, we have this uh, a working group started, the state's really listening to it. And you know, there, it, this has come from the tippy top, the reason why the state's not doing it. It's not, you know, the FWC's hands yeah. are somewhat tied, but we just wrapped up a study and it's like one of the first studies to demonstrate that habitat alterations are actually affecting our snook populations. And I think it's so crazy that, like, we have all these studies and stock assessments, you know, we know exactly how many red snapper are on every single reef, but we can't document that habitat loss is affecting our snook population. And so, that's something that we've talked about too, about habitat loss here in Fort Lauderdale, the fact the loss of the lack of trees and the lack yeah. of mangroves. Well, I mean, at this point in Fort Lauderdale, um, the snook live in our habitat, you yeah, know? Sure, yeah, sure. And it's, um, it's nothing like it was Mother Nature made it to be. We've totally distorted it. And um, that's kind of like my biggest issue when I see these programs with like, um, you know, putting redfish into a bay or introducing clams or oysters 
or I mean you can introduce all that shit you want to the fact of the matter is the reason it's not there is because they're swimming in poisonous water right so if you have poisonous water you know it's kind of like making Kool-Aid without the sugar yeah, yeah right yeah. no exactly you can't just you can't just dump protein into the water and, and wish for the best you know that's that's uh, why I think our model and, and what Ross is doing and our other scientists are doing it is so important because you know it, it all ties together you know if, if the fish don't have the habitat they don't have anywhere to grow up if they don't have the water quality the habitat's probably going to die i mean there's there's so many interconnected things that we as south floridians you know kind of take for granted you know we assume it's just going to always be good and and it's not i mean it's it, it takes research and it takes people making the effort to go talk with fwc and talk with with lawmakers throughout the state to do the right thing i mean you guys in your backyard you guys have this horrible sewage issue going on and i've, I've watched some of your guys's videos about it and it's it's scary so what do you do as an angler, you know? Um, there's water quality has become a hot topic and, and you know, especially with the, the governor's race last time. I mean, the heat, I would say DeSantis, a, a, lot, a lot of the reason he won was because he was so pro water quality. And he, he's done a solid job to, to take care of it, but how do we continue to make that type of progress? And we've seen some good things. Um, I was on a call this morning with um, a bunch of folks with uh, you know different water quality groups, you know everyone from Everglades Foundation to TRCP to some of these other ones back in DC, and they're talking about the Great American Outdoors Act, and they recently passed, as part of this act, a hundred million dollars for Everglades restoration and, and fixing back projects like all these different you know little issues that they've had within the park, and so you know the I think people coming together and things like talking on podcasts and talking online and and just talking and, and making other people aware of these issues is so important you know I know a lot of times people get upset because guides are upset you know you guys are saying the fishing is so bad the water quality is bad no one's going to want to come and no one's going to want to come fish but if if you let it go and you keep saying all's hunky-dory and and we're fishing and it's amazing it's going to continue to be amazing and put your head in the sand it's not going to make a difference so I mean we're we're very proud to be a voice saying, hey, look, the fishing is getting better. I mean, the bonefish are coming back in a major way in the Keys. We, you know, it's, there's a lot of progress that is being made, but we need to just keep the ball rolling. And that's, that's the hardest thing. I mean, is, is that momentum. If there's not a blue algae crisis right there in everyone's face, how do, you, how do you maintain that interest with people who aren't necessarily diehard anglers like we are? Right, right, right. So it's, it's, it's always something, you know. It's, one thing that I think that you guys have done very well, you talk about, is that you guys have actually played a role in educating people. One of my favorite things that you guys have done are the videos, the how-to videos on how to properly handle bonefish. Because, you know, and Jeff will tell you over the past year and a half, I've basically fallen in love with bonefish. I mean, I think that they are the coolest thing. And every time I go out there with Carl, um, one thing that he always, you know, kind of gives me credit for is I always tell him, let me get in the water. I want to get in the water with it. And because if it falls out of my hands, because they're slippery, at least it'll fall in the water. Sure. And I see all these people that can't wait to get it in the boat because they can't wait to take a picture with it. And I've been in the boat when it's happened, and then they drop it, and it smashes on the deck. And you guys actually have taken the steps to try to teach people how to properly handle bonefish. I wonder if you could kind of go over some of those steps. Yeah. And it goes back to the show us your bone thing. Um, I saw a, a video from Captain Eric Hirschdet. He had one, and then Ross also did a nice yes. video on, on the proper techniques because 
know, there were some people who submitted photos where they you know, it looked a little cringy. Looked you know? a little, yeah, but you might have fallen. You know, it's a great, great, great educational moment. You know, Ross, you can fill them in on. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was uh, it was really awesome that Andy and uh, Nikki put that that extra part in there. And um, but yes, handling bonefish more so than any species are they are the most vulnerable to bad handling practices. Why is it that they're so vulnerable? Like, what is it that what is it that makes them so vulnerable? There's a that's a good question. There's a couple things. Um, so if we think about a bonefish versus a snook and a tarpon, like a snook and a tarpon, they they live in pretty low oxygen environments for the most part, and a bonefish lives on you know maxed out oxygen all the time. So when we start depriving bonefish of oxygen at all, you know they're not equipped to it. A snook can ha yeah, it's not it's not good for them, but they you know certainly a little bit more resilient to it than a bonefish. So they they're already predisposed predisposed to being not so good when you take them out of the water at all. Uh, they live in a sharky environment, so you slow them down in any way means the sharks are going to find them. I almost had that happen last time. Yeah. First time. <laughs> yeah, I got sharks are real like sharks for, sharks on snook and bonefish. They are really like I don't see them eat little tarpon, but man, you catch a snook and it's like gone. They bonefish is the same way. Do you, are the sharks bad here or are they uh the sharks aren't crazy bad in Port Everglades. Yeah. You know? Um but I tell you, it's more than ever before. Yeah. I mean it was just four trips ago where I had these fly fishing kids out there. And um, we went out and live baited a couple of fish, big fish, before we went fly fishing. Mm -hmm. And the second fish they caught, about an 80-pounder, here comes big hammerhead. Oh, man. Cuts the line with the dorsal fin. I'm thinking, oh, great, the tarpon's going to get away. The tarpon starts jumping, and the 600-pound and the hammerhead puts it in high gear and trashes the poor tarpon. And that's right here in Port Everglades. But there's places down there, um, you know, in, by Biscayne Bay, where I just won't catch more than one fish. If I catch a fish in a certain area, I'll just leave at this point knowing damn well that if I catch a second big fish, you know, that the shark's gonna come in and we're gonna lose that tarpon. So it's a bit of a strategy, sure. but it's just crazy. Um, it's crazy because every once in a while we would get sharks, say previously, before five years ago. And now you can almost expect to get sharked in I would say the majority of areas and a lot of us guides are finding new areas to fish knowing that it's going to be a little less productive but feel more comfortable catching a tarpon in that area so it's a motherfucker I gotta tell you did I tell you about when I saved the bonefish from the shark last time no I was pretty proud of it I was releasing the bonefish I was in the water and all of a sudden here comes a shark headed right towards the bonefish and I ran at it nice. to spook it off and thankfully, it was a nurse shark, but still. <laughs> and Carl, and Carl said to me, he goes, hey, yeah. he goes, you would be the guy in war that if somebody, like if a grenade landed, he goes, you jumped on it to try to stop. I said, damn well, damn right I'd freaking try to do that. What, is, what are the most common mistakes that you guys are seeing that people are doing when handling bonefish? Because I, I don't see it as much, but once in a while, I'll still see somebody with a boga grip on that damn. Yeah, the bugger grip's bad, and then, like, the, the death squeeze is one that's super common just because, you know, if you do pick them up, they are slippery, so people want to just squeeze, squeeze them. them. It's horrible to see. Oh. It's gotten better, but, you know, I will say, like, for example, we've taken the initiative in all of our publications. We won't publish a photo if it's not using the best handling practice, and, and we ask our partners, you know, if they're submitting ads to our journal or something like that, same deal. And we've had to turn people away just because sometimes... You know, the, it's part of that that shift in change. It's it's a slow and gradual shift, but 
educational moment. We have the opportunity to help these guys out, learn a little bit more, and, and the clients are gonna see that as well and say, hey, you know what, these, this guy's doing it the right way. Carl, perfect example, guy who does it the right way. People wanna be like Carl, because he catches a ton of fish, and he knows how to handle them, and, and he's gonna make sure that that habitat is just as good as, as the day before. And you know that's kind of the model I think a lot of guides picture now, and I, I think it's a great model to, to go for because I mean you're you're only going to hurt yourself if you don't take care of the fish. Yeah, it's that simple. Well, I feel like what happens, and I'm guilty of it too. I've done it where it's like you catch them and you're all fired up and you can't wait to grab them, and it's like you know Carl. So that and that's why I like actually getting in the water with them. I hand Carl the rod and then I can go and just kind of take my time to actually you know grab the leader first, hold them by the and then just kind of cradle them. Sure. I don't have an issue with them when I do that, but I, I took my one buddy the very first time we were with Carl, couldn't wait to get into the boat, put it in, slept, dropped, yeah. you know? And so the, um, now I do have another question for you guys while we're on the topic of bonefish. With all your research, and if you don't want to tell me this, I completely understand, I'm looking for that double digit. What's the best time of the year? When, what time of the year am I going to have the best chance to find that double digit bone? Shoot, I'd say October, November, right? And they're fattening really? up pre-spawn. Yeah, man. That's I got to write that down. Dude, that's like during the mullet run. That's when all the best shit happens. <laughs> Dude, coincidence? You think those big bones are eating mullets? That's science. Yeah. That's real, real science. That's real science. But, but I think it's also habitat dependent, too. I mean, you could spend all your time in, in certain areas that don't produce big bones, and you're just, even if it's, you know, the right time in the fall where they are getting fat, you're not going to find it. I mean, there's areas, there's just certain places that hold bigger fish. Just like any species, if you said you were a hunter, I mean, there's certain places that have bigger deer, bigger hogs, whatever. I mean, it's the same in the water, obviously. I was in, I was in Isla Morada last year with, uh, you know, my buddy, Mike Alfano, mm -hmm. and we... And I'm not proud to admit this, but I was still just getting started, so I was still pretty bad. I mean, we were surrounded by double-digit fish. And me and my buddy blew every single one of them. But we did get one, I did get one that was seven pounds, right. which I was happy about. But, it was, but seeing them and blowing it every single time, I mean, especially when I think about it now, just like killed me. Because at the time, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this must be normal, seeing all these big fish. Not even close. Mm -hmm. He literally said to me, he's like, dude, I mean, you should be so thankful. He goes, we never have days like that. <laughs> Didn't really make me feel better, but yeah. You know. <laughs> but Russ, let me ask you a question because, <clears throat> I mean, we're sitting in the studio, both you guys are like glowing over here, right? So working with the Bonefish Tarp and Trust, being the age that you guys are, are socially, internally, does it make you feel like you're living like a better life right at the moment, trying to do what you guys are doing at the Bonefish Tarpon Trust? I'll let you start that one, Ross. Hey, man, I'm living on a sailboat in the Keys, a flats boat tied off in the back. Man, I, my life, like, That's wouldn't change best. a thing. <laughs> so you're feeling it, right? I'm feeling every second of it. Now you got, I, 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 I can't wait to start putting these things up on YouTube because Ross is sitting over here. We're, make, we're, we're having this discussion, and he's glowing, right? And then Mark, he hasn't stopped smiling since he's been in here. It's been ear to ear. Same with you. Same with you. I mean, like the lifestyle. Does it like make you feel like? Well, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of factors. So Ross is on the science side. I'm I'm on the fundraising, marketing, kind of uh, nuts and bolts of, of the business side. And you know, I I I think 
part of what makes this job great is the mission number one obviously i wouldn't be here if it if it weren't for what we were doing but two is like we meet awesome people like i just i like i'm a very social person i've also been stuck in the house with covid so it's just fun to hang out and just talk fishing and you know be out i mean that, that's that's what, what i get to do for a living so it's it's a blast and i get to sell i'm you know i'm essentially selling science right and right. I, I want people to invest in what we're doing and i you know there's not a single project that we have where i'm like eh not gonna do that one you know it's all i mean it's all really cool stuff and it's groundbreaking like we wouldn't know anything about these fish if it weren't for you know ross and some of these other guys that are, are part of our group i mean it's well um, i mean there's something to be said for you know working um with a passion or working for something that you love because maybe you guys will grow old and won't have a heart attack or an ulcer or something like that and that's a lot of the reason people get into the guide you know um lifestyle you know, you're never going to make a lot of money you're not going to necessarily you know hang out with the rich and famous you're going to have your shit you got to do every day but your quality of life um i think is really important one of the things that busaka um is trying to find is that place for him like he loves the environment when i met him he was like man maybe i'll be fwc you know or maybe i'll do this and then he started doing the podcast interviews and a lot like you guys, now the kid's glowing, you know, and he, and, you know, he comes in after work and he does what it takes. And because he feels like he's making progress and he's making a difference, I can tell the kid's much happier. And it's nice to be sitting here with you guys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're into sales and marketing. Shit, I've been into sales and marketing where you're sitting down with four guys and you can't wait to finish the stupid lunch and get away from everybody. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, hey, lifestyle's a big deal. No, that's a good point. So what's some stuff, um, I don't know if you guys can share, what's some stuff that you guys kind of have in the works? I don't know if you're allowed to share that, maybe some upcoming stuff. Like I know you guys have the expo right. in November. Is that still happening as of, as of right now? At this point, well, we're, we're going to make a call here really soon. Uh, at this point it is. Um, we were talking about going to that too. If, if not, it'll be, you know, we're going to probably shift it into a similar time frame in that next year. So we're, we're just trying to wait and see like everybody. I mean, COVID, it's like, I wish I could tell you they could find a vaccine tomorrow. Yeah, I'm like yeah, we're good, you know. Like, or it could be another year, and you know. Oh, let's not say that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't now, think so. Ross, on the research side, do you guys have any upcoming projects? Anything that you're working on that you're allowed to share? Oh yeah, absolutely. We we, we touched on the pharmaceutical project mm-hmm. again, and where we're sampling bonefish and permit for various pharmaceuticals they have in their tissues, and that one is shocking. I mean, we're finding 14 different pharmaceuticals in bonefish that range from anything like antipsychotics to like knee medication. And I mean, when humans take all that stuff, it interacts in weird ways. You know, you can't take a Xanax and do a bunch of Coke and expect to be like normal. And bonefish is the same way. I don't know, have um, you been to Miami? You've <laughs> <laughs> seen the people walking around, man? So, it would explain a lot, you know, I don't know. So, normal's relative? <laughs> so getting the results back in that study in the lab we're doing, that's doing it's fantastic, top notch. and. Uh, I think that's going to have real power to improve our water quality infrastructure in the Keys and get the next level to get out the, the pharmaceuticals that also pull out like sunscreen chemicals and all these other stuff. And, and that's going to be huge because uh, that's such a weird poison that we're putting in the water. So you actually bring it up. I'm happy you brought up the topic of tagging the bone fishing permits. How, do you, I mean, how did you guys figure out how to do that without harming the fish? Because that must have been tough. Was it a lot of trial and error or? 
That there, there's researchers that have been doing that for 20 years, and uh, the lab we we coordinate with, they're the, the world leaders in it, and they're just doing it because they like getting out of Canada and doing tropical stuff. <laughs> So we, it's cold we, up there. Yeah, yeah. So we got this like, you know, pro bono. Yeah. Well, they all flock down here during the winter time. They'll be yeah. coming soon. Um, but I mean, fish are tough, man. Like, how many times have you seen a fish with a giant shark bite in its side? And it's I've seen bonefish. Yeah. I've yeah. seen some of those big bonefish. What was the the one? I I can't remember who it was that had the story about the uh, the bonefish. It was like a twelve pound bonefish in Biscayne Bay, and the shark was coming right for it. And he took the uh, the bush pole and threw it like a spear. Oh, it was Croca, right? Was, I think it was Croca. Yeah. I think it was Croca, and he speared the shark. Yeah. But he got the bonefish, but the bonefish survived. Yeah. Wow. I was like, man, they are pretty tough. Now, yeah, fish are tough, man. Yeah, those those wounds heal up in a few weeks. You know, they start feeding two days later again, like nothing's happened. And except when you leave them in the air for too long. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's so long? funny. Like they're so tough, but also but they're so delicate. They're also so delicate. It's like a, they're like a contradiction. Well, Rob, tell, tell them about your your baby baby uh, swimming pool device. <laughs> the, you guys will appreciate this. I've this, seen that. This is yeah, yeah, fantastic ingenuity. It's oh, it's slick, man. It's so we, uh, you know, we got this problem. We got these fish. We got a keep in the water, we gotta have fresh water going through, and we need a structure that can hold them without taking up too much space. So I was like going through Home Depot, I'm gonna build some crazy thing, you know, and you've know, gotten all supplies, and I walk by like that outdoor section, I see this like girl in a bikini laying in a, laying in a freaking inflatable like pool device. And so you're saying like, the bikini caught your eye? Oh, or was, yeah, the, or was yeah, it the floating yeah. device? <laughs> yeah. For the sake so, of science. So There's floating devices there, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like 15 bucks. I'm like, shoot, I'm going to get this. And what it is, is it's a circular inflatable ring that has this real soft mesh that goes all around it. So, you know, I caught a bonefish. You put it in there, see what would happen. I thought it would freak out. Now, bonefish just settled down to the bottom, got super comfortable. I was like, oh, this, is, this is awesome. And now, and now that's, that's what we use, and it folds up to about the size of a... I don't know, like a frisbee, and it's great. What's the farthest that you guys have ever tracked a bonefish locally that you found in, like, say, Cuba, the Bahamas? What's the farthest you've ever had one get caught? In the Bahamas, that's where we've been doing a lot of the, mo the most work. And bonefish, they, what they do, they have their home flat or home flats. So they just kind of live their day-to-day -day life. And then when they go spawn, they make really extensive migrations. And in the Bahamas, I think our, our furthest one is 70 miles. From a tagging location to, on that map, basically all the way from Grand Bahama, I think, down to the, the, the southern tip of uh, Abaco. And it's pretty far. Yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. for a fish that's little, tiny little fish that looks like a freaking, I don't know, <laughs> looks like a hog it's leg, like a man. silver bullet. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there was a Keys one, too, wasn't there, Russ? Yeah, yeah. We attracted one in the Keys that uh, moved about 30 miles. Yeah. But they, they do have small home ranges for the most part. Yeah. yeah except yeah. when they're ready to spawn. Yeah. Then they go into deeper water, right? Right. All right, well, I, can, I cannot not ask this question. I mean, having the Bonefish Tarp and Trust guys in the studio and everything, have you guys studied any correlation between the mullet and the tarpon? Have we noticed any correlation between the mullet and the tarpon? Or studied anything about the mullet and the tarpon? No, we haven't. And uh, be cool. But well, I mean, we got bigger problems. Go ahead, sorry. No, just, you know, like for me, that's, that seems to me the most universal bait to be able to catch tarpon on 12 months out of the year. Pretty much any place you go, you can catch one. 
on a live mullet. There's times when you need a live shrimp, there's times when you need a crab, there's times when it's better to use a jig head and all this shit. But a live mullet. You guys ever heard the saying, the chicken and the mullet got the same gizzard? <laughs> no. I was waiting for it. Well, I just want to know if there's some sort of correlation between the mullet and the tarpon. I mean, or who the better? the bonefish. Well, who better to ask than the bonefish tarpon trust guys? Well, you know, I'd say too. There, there's not a specific study, right? But you know <laughs> what we're doing with the tarpon acoustics. You know, we've tracked some of these fish. There was one we tracked from uh, Charlotte Harbor, down in Key West, up to Georgia, back to Key West, into the Everglades for the winter, and then back to Charlotte Harbor. And this was over what, like a year and a half, two-year yeah. period. Um, you know, there's when we get this data and as it compiles, like when we tag these tarpon, it lasts five to seven years. So we're gonna get years and years of data. This isn't just like you get a three-week track and you know figure out the rest and piece it together. I mean, this is pretty comprehensive data sets that these guys are dealing with. And so as this this group of data builds and all these detections all over the place, you can then track. All right, what was the what was the water temperature during this time? Was there a certain water temperature that got them to move? Similar like with mullet. I mean, they they pretty much tend to move somewhat around with water pressure or sorry water temperature right anecdotally I and mean, we haven't specifically studied that but you can apply different things you can apply moon cycles you can apply tides you can you can apply fishing pressure you can apply fresh water flow coming out of the everglades there's a lot of little plugins you can do when you run these these data sets with these guys and uh yeah i mean so i mean the, the simple i mean Fish need food and need to mate, and that's like their big drivers. Is the question where is the food? When is it going to sure. be there? And um, well, if you guys ever do any research or studying on the mullet and the tarpon, you know where to come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know where to come for to get. One. Yeah, you know where to get your friggin' at least your uh, baseline. But I, I think that's an interesting question because mullet, I, we've done I've done some cal- calorie studies to see what you know how much calories different things have. And mullet are like way up there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Imagine that. How many calories are in a mullet? Imagine that, right? <laughs> how many calories are in a mullet? Right. How many? Did, uh, you know? Trans fats or what? What do we got going on? You know, I kind of want to know. Now. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see that. That one. could be the next research project. Yeah, yeah, right there. Being the sales and marketing guy, right? Right. When you get up every day, what's your day look like? Uh, it's it's a mix. You know, right now we're in the process of going virtual with an event. So right now I'm trying to feel out. How does that look? And we're actually we're we're able we're honoring a bunch of these guys from the Buccaneers and Bones show, so getting them interviewed and piecing it together with a script that makes sense with Jim, our president, and uh, some of the the event committee guys we have in New York that have been great and helping us keep this awesome New York event going every year, which is a major fundraiser for us. So it's a combination of that. When we you know we also do memberships, so overseeing. Making sure our, our memberships program is running, making sure people are getting their incentives. You know, if you buy a, a membership at a certain level, you get certain incentives. Making sure all that stuff is kind of rolling, um, and then just chatting with people who care is, and that's the, my favorite part. Is it's like I just get to call people and say, "Hey, you know what? You've been fishing. What have you seen? What have you been doing?" Fill them in on on some of the stuff that Ross and these guys uh, and our science team are doing, guys and girls, excuse me. And um, you know, that's that's kind of a typical day. Is is just sort of Make sure uh, the the monetary arrow is pointed in the right direction, and make sure we're we're covering our bases and putting together fun events. Like I, I'm looking forward to having events in person because that's probably the, the right. my second favorite part of the job is the events and, and having fun and seeing everybody. 
and, and we throw a heck of a party. You need to come down to one of these things. We're, we're, we got to go. Um, Next time they do it. It's, okay. it's a ton of fun. Go. You should come to the Alamorado event. I think I think you'd dig it. It's it's really fun. Roll down to Alamorado, hang out with all the keys guides. Let's yeah. Do it. The tarpon trust people. Yeah. All the real dudes like hanging out and shit. We talked about going to the expo, so we'll do it. Yeah. And, oh, and, then, and then symposium. That. When we get symposium settled, we'll have more information this week or sorry next week um, on symposium and what exactly the plan is going to be. But um, I'll, I'll fill you guys in on, and we'd love to have you yeah, there as well. Please do. So production is a big deal for you. A lot of production going There's on. There's a lot going on, and it's and it's, it's fun because we're always busy, and we've got a small team, so we've got to really get after it every day. So I like being busy, personally. Yeah, and, right. Uh, we stay pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, dude, this is the first time I haven't been busy in a long time, and I got to tell you, it's driving me fucking crazy. I'm missing it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm keeping myself busy. I'm doing podcasts. I'm traveling around. I'm doing a little fishing for myself. Right. But I, mean, I think I'm going on like 20 years of doing 200 plus days a year fishing, you know? How many have you done this year? <sighs> Maybe about 70. Wow. Which really sucks because usually what happens is in the first six months of the year, I'll bang out somewhere around 120, 140. And then the second six months of the year, you know, you can kind of, when it's hot like this, pace yourself. And, you know, sure. and then as long as at the end of the year you get a little over 200. You know, the kid fucking gets fed and the taxes get paid and everybody's happy. <laughs> this year, um, you know, obviously that's that's not happening. And it's, um, I don't know, I was, I was telling somebody the other day, it feels like the first year I didn't play football. <laughs> because, you know, the, the time came to perform and to get in shape and do what the fuck you're supposed to do. But it never came. Mm-hmm. And it was like, really, you know, it was a serious void. It's and a great analogy. You like that one? Can you believe it? I actually also played football. Oh, really? Surprisingly. I don't believe. What'd you, where'd you play? Um, I had a small stint at Elon University in North Carolina and then really? high school, yeah. Dude, I'm very familiar with Elon. Are you? Yes. Where did you play? I played at University of Connecticut. Okay. But well, are they, they're, what is their conference now? They're 1A. Oh. Uh, and they were, what the hell conference are they in now? I think they're in the big, well, it used to be the Big, big East, East, so yeah. maybe... They were in the ACC for a year, and then they dropped yeah, out. I that. They got real serious about it, and then. But Connecticut's fucked up. Their football was fucked up when I was there. It's still fucked up. But we did win the Yankee Conference Championship in 1988. Nice. First time in school history. What position did you play? I played corner. Okay. No, I all right. Yeah, played corner. I was the first kid from South Florida to get recruited at UConn in 1986. Mm-hmm. By 1990, I would say about half the team was from South Florida. Yeah. By 1992, about half the team flunked out and had to come back. Because they're pretty, well, they're pretty serious about their academics there yeah, up at UConn. Yeah. So some of us South Florida boys, you know, we had to work a little harder at the books than we that. probably should have at football. But um, but I'm glad you like the analogy. So yeah, you, actually, you actually it's, got it. It's home, man. He's got a lot of good analogies. Well, and also, Elon, um, my wife's partner sister went there my wife's partner's dad was a big alumni there okay we have three friends with kids there now one of them's playing football so elon's been a big topic oh, no way. for All such right. a small place and a yeah. small school you know it's okay. funny that you're uh, the elon guy yeah there's, there's a lot of random south florida connections now it's it's like a very much an out-of-state school i think only like 10 percent of the people now are from actually north carolina or 15 percent. it's pretty well, small I, I understand this this elon's a fairly conservative school 
as far as it's not like crazy liberal nuts mm, like Yukon? No? No, no, no so I'm not sure you hear that. not there then, right? Yeah, I don't know. Elon, Elon is a great school, don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. No, okay. It, 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 I got bad information then. Yeah, no, Fake I groups. mean... Well, someone compared FAU and Elon as cons- conservative, more con- on the conservative side. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I would. I would say one of my favorite memories there is my buddy and I. I shot the biggest deer of my life at Elon, and it, it kind of paints the picture of, of the average person. You know, if it's a little conservative, people would be like, "Oh, it's a cool deer." <laughs> we, they had. I didn't realize that that night it was like this convocation of like they light all these like Christmas candles and stuff. I'm like, I'm not gonna do that crap. You know, I, I'm, I'm gonna go deer hunting with my boy, and I killed this deer, and we we're just like ecstatic. And it was the the antlers were so big. That we couldn't close the little clam hatch on the back of the truck, and we couldn't. He had a bunch of crap in the back of his truck. We couldn't close the tailgate either, so we strapped him in. He's got this big head hanging out the back, and it was it was a horrible moment, but also a very memorable one. And we're rolling through the middle of this, (laughs) this like everyone's nice little Christmas party with this giant bloody deer hanging out the back, and just I just remember the faces of my buddy and I just. That's it, still a memory we reflect on. So you were turning, you were turning a few heads, huh? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a head turner, man. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Turn a few and dragging a few heads. That's right. Well, we didn't do much deer hunting up at Yukon, but we did cow tipping, and that pissed the liberals off pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you. <laughs> I never knew you cow tipped, dude. A football player at Yukon. I didn't know they had cows up there in Yukon. Dude, you kidding me? They got cows. It was a all right, let me tell you. All right, I'll tell you the best thing about Yukon. All right, it's a, it, they have dairy farms there, and they make ice cream. And the friggin' cafeterias, especially the athletic cafeteria, was well stocked with some of the best ice cream you've ever tasted in your life. And then when you're small like me, you get a key to the cafeteria because they'll let, they'll let you eat as much as you want to keep your weight on. So anyway, I would get the key, and then my two best buddies were linebacker types, and we'd go down there and just waste the best ice cream <laughs> you could possibly. It was a thing, you know? Well, next time, we'll, one of these days, we'll go to Jackson's Ice Cream Parlor, since you're that into ice cream. Well, I'm into, you know, ice cream back then. If I had that now, I'd probably have a heart attack. you get the rock gut. The rock gut. Right, get the rock gut and everything. <laughs> So guys, I want to uh, I want to wrap up the uh, podcast here. We've been on for about an hour. Busaka, do you get your, all your questions out of the way? I got all my questions out of the way, man. You know, Andy, Andy's going to be proud of you the way you read everything down, and um, we're you know, doing followed his advice exactly the way he said it. And we're doing a podcast with them. Actually, is it September? We're doing it with them. Yeah, Andy Mill will be on the Real Guy podcast, and and and, and Nikki and Nikki yeah, will be on the podcast in September, October. They'll come down and fish the mullet run like gentlemen, and. Um, I would like to uh, extend the offer to Ross and Mark to come down during the mullet run, um, especially since we're having such a slow year. Yeah, it's my year to take out you know real guys. But anyway, the mullet run comes through Fort Lauderdale in a condensed fashion that is just absolutely spectacular. So if you have any time, call it the first week of October to like the third week of October. Yeah, maybe we can try to tag a tarpon too. Let's tag a shitload of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? we, we probably need. We're, we're our goal is uh, two hundred, so we're we're getting close. But really, we need to get a couple more. A lot of tags on the mullet run for sure too. Yeah. Are you familiar with the tarpon strain here in the New River? The tarpon strain. There's a tarpon strain that that likes to be in the New River. Or liked. 
past tense to be in the New River. And I don't know if you guys realized it or not, but the actual state record was caught in the New River and held for a long time before they started catching those big monsters over in Home Assassin mm-hmm. and stuff. But the New River here in Fort Lauderdale, um, a lot of people don't know, but one of the biggest strains of tarpon that the state has ever seen used to come up in the New River. And um, it's well documented. And um, we used to do TV shows back there. And um, sad to say that the tarpon don't go up in there anymore. But um, I don't know, a little factoid for the tarpon trust people. Was right? that the, the tarpon bend that now is just a bend? Tarpon Ben's just he knows the band. Band. absolutely. He knows that's a real guy, dude. The real guy network pen- has penetration. Okay? I was, uh, my girlfriend and I were watching that show, and I don't think you saw caught a single fish the whole episode. You just yell at guys with bow thrusters. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, that's what you do. Tar- that's what you do at Tarpon Ben now. You yell at the bow thrusters. You talk about old times, and every once in a while, you'll catch a fish over there. But it's nothing like the old days of how it was um, named after. But that whole yeah. river was an absolute tarpon phenomenon at the time at one time when it when it kick off when it kick off line it was a, probably about eight years ago yeah was kind of like the beginning of the real end to it like seriously like over 10 years ago i would very rarely leave fort lauderdale to tarpon fish and realize 90 percent of the stuff that i do is tarpon and um in the last 10 years or so I broadened my horizons from Key Biscayne to Port Everglades. And wherever the, I have to take my clients in order to keep them on the fish, now I go to. Sure. But I built my business right here in this river. I did TV shows in this river. And um, I fished through the end. And I just pray one day that that river will rebound. And people can say that again about Fort Lauderdale and the New River. And um, with help from guys like you, you know, guys like Captains from Clean Waters, guys like Busaka, um, I'm seeing something at 52 years of age that I've never seen before. It's actually becoming cool to give a shit about the water. And um, I want to congratulate the Bonefish Tarpon Trust. I want to congratulate you two for helping us achieve that goal. And I think going forward, if we can keep it cool, the Real Guy Network, Bonefish Tarpon Trust, Captains for Clean Waters, the Everglades Foundation, all the rest of the, what, American Water Security Project, big fans of those guys. I think with the momentum that we have and the work that guys like you are actually doing, we can spread the content around. And our new slogan, because God knows we made enough content over the years, but our new slogan is making content that counts. And having you guys here today helped us achieve that. So thanks very much, and thanks for being on The Real Guy Podcast. Thank you.